0: Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to John Caserta, a chartered financial consultant and managing director at Caserta and Dejong LLC in North Haven, Connecticut. But before we get to John, I want to share some exciting news. The Morningstar Investment Conference for investment professionals will be held virtually this year on September 16th and 17th. Morningstar is offering the same research, analysis, and insight for investment professionals you'd get at the live event for the reduced price of $149. And the best part is, you can join us from wherever you are, assuming you have Wi-Fi. For more information or to register, visit go.morningstar.com forward slash M-I-C. Again, the website is go.morningstar.com forward slash M-I-C. Now, as Jed Abelrod says, back to the battle.
1: Stay tuned for additional important disclosure information at the end of this episode.
0: If I told you about someone who grew up, went to the local university in their hometown, then settled down and started a practice in that same hometown, that might strike you as being somewhat ordinary. But what if I told you that hometown was New Haven, Connecticut, and the local school was Yale University? Not so ordinary anymore. Well, that's John Caserta's background. John is a chartered financial consultant and managing director at Caserta and Jong, which has offices in North Haven and New Haven. And he's my guest today on Simple But Not Easy. John, thanks for joining me today.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: John, uh, tell me about your practice. When did it start and can you talk a bit about how it's grown over the years?
2: Uh, sure, so I started my practice back in 2005 as a solo practitioner. I was part of a larger insurance company and uh, started building my book on my own. And eventually that grew into a more comprehensive practice. And that's when I moved to an independent broker dealer. And from there, met another individual, Bob DeJong, who was uh, getting ready to retire and we started working together and formed a group with a succession plan. And eventually he did retire and we merged the two books. And uh, here I am.
0: And how big is your practice today?
2: So uh, in terms of assets under management, it's just over $100 million. Uh, We have several hundred clients. Internally, we have uh, three staff people two individuals that concentrate on insurance business and investment business and a planning associate.
0: That doesn't include the canine members of your staff though, is that right?
2: <laughs> That's true, it doesn't. Uh, we're, a, uh, we're a dog-friendly office and uh, we love bringing our pups into the office. So on a full day, there could be three running around.
0: And your dog, tell me a little bit about the background of your dog. You bring her or him to work every day?
2: I bring Reggie to work uh, every day. Uh, he's typically sleeping uh, either by my desk or under my desk. Reggie was a boxer rescue. My wife actually rescued him as a puppy. And I only met Reggie, she's probably six, seven years ago when I uh, met my wife. And um, you yeah, know he's been in my life ever since and we're inseparable.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Wait, why did you become a financial advisor? What, what drew you to that?
2: You know, I've, I've always had a passion for teaching. And I think deep down inside, I, I probably uh, wanted to be a teacher <laughs> at some point. Um, but I really enjoy taking complex money issues and really translating them into accessible material that's easy to understand and teaching people how their money works and how it can work for them. I mean, I find it super rewarding when somebody comes back to me and says, thank you uh, for the help. So it's uh, really a passion of teaching and working with clients uh, one-on-one. I always wanted to have that personal interaction and be able to make an impact in people's lives.
0: And John, tell me a bit more about yourself. You, You grew up in the New Haven area. Tell me about that and tell me about the decision to go to Yale.
2: Yeah, definitely. So I grew up in North Haven. I'm actually first generation Italian American. Both my parents were born in Italy, and they came here in the uh, late 60s. I have two older brothers who also went to Yale. So uh, when it came time for me to uh, start applying to schools, I had been so ingrained in the Yale community and so involved with the university. It was a natural fit, and uh, I was lucky enough to get in.
0: And you studied music at Yale?
2: I actually studied Italian literature. I did do my fair share of music classes. And for a little bit, I was toying with the idea of being a music major. I actually played trumpet in the jazz ensemble, the concert band, uh, did a number of different shows, uh, played in pit orchestras. So I was really involved in the music scene, but I ultimately ended up majoring in Italian literature. And I think, you know, that was partly because I was thinking to myself, if I wanted to go on and continue in academics, that ultimately I'd want to teach Italian. Uh, So I did have a chance to use that degree following college. I did write for an Italian newspaper for uh, a couple of years. So it's uh, something that I used and, uh, you know, I still, I speak Italian with my family. So,
0: and do you still go back? Where from in Italy are, are, were your parents and do you still go back to see family there?
2: I do, yeah. So I still have aunts, uncles, cousins uh, in Italy. I uh, try to go back as often as possible, every couple of years or so, to visit family. Uh, my dad is from Caserta, Italy, which happens to be my last name as well. And uh, my mom is from Faicchio, which is uh, very close to Caserta. So all in the same location, southern, uh, southern Italy.
0: Molto bene. So, uh, uh, can, <laughs> so can you tell me a, a bit about how or whether your, you know, connections and history with Yale, how you've been able to sort of use that in your practice to attract clients?
2: Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that, I, like I said earlier, one of the things I'm very passionate about is financial literacy and teaching people about how their money works, how investing works, how insurance works, every facet of financial planning. And one of the things that I noticed having graduated from Yale, uh, they do a fantastic job of getting you ready for uh, the world. Not so great when it comes to uh, teaching you about uh, things like taxes and investing and you know how money works. So I approached several financial aid officers at the different professional schools at Yale. In particular, I started with the law school uh, because I had noticed a number of my friends who had graduated with me, who had gone on to law school, were starting to work and just having to manage their student loans. And they were coming back to me with like the same questions. Right, So yeah, I approached the financial aid officer at uh, the law school. And said, you know, I would love to do a financial literacy uh, series, you know, teaching people the basics about money, employee benefits, things like that. And uh, they were very receptive to it, and from there it kind of uh, ballooned, and uh, the other professional schools started getting involved and in wanting this type of literacy. And that, you know, that was at the very beginning of my career. You know, fast forward to today, I helped put together a series called Financial Life After Yale, and it's something that educates undergraduates, graduate students, and even alumni about different topics about money. So for example, one of the most recent ones that I did was a session on socially responsible investing. And uh, it was extremely popular. And now what we've seen is that even employee groups are starting to get involved. So there's a a group called Future Leaders of Yale, which is uh, employees under the age of 40. And it's a a large group. And, uh, you know, we're starting to do work with them in terms of educating employees on different topics as well. So, you know, not only do I bleed blue uh, when it comes Mm -hmm. to Yale, but, uh, you know, I'm involved with the university on a number of different levels. But certainly, this financial literacy is something that I'm super passionate about. And I found some people at the university who are equally as passionate about it as well. So that's been extremely helpful in kind of getting this programming up and off the ground.
0: John, have you you mentioned socially responsible investing. Uh, Have you gotten a lot of interest in SRI or ESG investing, uh, environmental, social, or governance focused investing from your clients? And if so, how do you gauge the interest of a client who might mention an interest in this area?
2: So uh, I've seen it more so over the past few years. Definitely people are more aware of the impact their investments have on the world around them. So in response to that, part of our fact-finding process is really to ask them, Questions that are geared to, you know, how do you feel about your investments and the impact on the world? Is it important for you to invest in something that's uh, socially responsible? Are there industries that you want to avoid? Are there companies that you want to avoid? So we've really embedded that into our conversation with clients about their, you know, not just the plain old risk tolerance questions, but really talking about the qualitative aspects of their investments. Uh,
0: John, how has... COVID-19 affected your practice? Do you view the world as before coronavirus and after coronavirus or, or not necessarily?
2: Not at all, actually. Um, you know, our group, we adopted Zoom meetings years ago. And I would say prior to, you know, the COVID, um, the percentage of online meetings that we had was probably close to 80 to 85%, if not more. Now it's 100%. So it was a very easy thing to deal with uh, from a operations standpoint, because we're already set up to work virtually. And a lot of times our associates uh, do that, even some of our staff They have the ability to work from home if they need to. So we already had that flexible environment. If I've seen any difference, you know, uh, pre pandemic and, you know, during, it's that people are more willing to want to talk and want to do a review. You know, it's uh, it's kind of difficult to get somebody to sit down during a uh, historic uh, bull market, right, and <laughs> review their portfolio. Um, but of course, now there are a lot of questions that come up. There's concern, there's anxiety, and it's understandable. So people are more apt to want to sit down and have that conversation.
0: And how do you help them kind of digest and understand markets when they're in crisis like that after there's been a, a big decline, for example?
2: You know, I think it all has to do with how we work with clients all along the way, right? We, again, I go back to that education piece. We're big believers in educating and talking to people about how their investments work and, you know, things that they can expect to happen with their portfolio. Obviously, we can't. Predict the future, but at least we can have an idea of okay. Well, you know, you're invested in something that mimics the S&P 500, so we shouldn't be surprised if the S&P 500 goes up and down. That your portfolio does the same. So that education piece in working with clients is extremely important in our process. Um, You know, for example, during that bull market, I often reached out to clients and said. Yeah, we're having a great time in the market. Your portfolios are doing fantastic. And now's the time to look at it and be prepared for if something happens. You know, if markets take a downturn, what can we expect? Are we positioned to go down with it? Are we capturing all that downside part of it? So again, that education piece is extremely important. So during this time, you know, the conversations are pretty much. Okay, John. You know, I remember what you said, and I understand what's happening. Um, so we've had no freakouts. <laughs> so um, it's uh, it's just a matter of touching base, reassuring that you know we had solid investments to begin with that were appropriate for your risk tolerance. You know, we're prepared for this. So it's something that we just need to buckle down and wait out.
0: Do you ever find that um, risk tolerance changes as a result of a decline?
2: Sometimes, sometimes I find that uh, clients will say, you know what, I guess I I thought I was a a bit more aggressive than I, I, I really am, right? I don't see extreme changes, maybe taking the foot off the gas pedal a little bit. But of course, you know, when markets decline We're trying to keep people from inherently changing the profile of their portfolio so as you know we're not locking in uh losses but sometimes it does have that conversation of like okay you know i understand i had a great run and i get it i'm okay you know easing up a, a little bit even though we're down because i had such historic gains right so there's been some cases like that but not not many
0: so, John, if COVID nineteen and the sort of you know everything that comes along with that isn't the the biggest challenge facing your practice today, what is?
2: You know, from I think the <laughs> the stock answer that probably a lot of people give is uh, regulation. You know, there are some challenges from a regulatory standpoint that you know I understand you know, where the regulations are coming from, right? Everybody's trying to keep the best interest of the client in mind. But, you know, I think sometimes they're a little short-sighted and they don't foresee the unintended consequences. You know, so, for example, Reg 187 uh, in New York has really made it difficult to do life insurance business in the state of New York. Uh, It's really limited options, right? But that being said, uh, we adapt to it you know, even we've always operated as fiduciaries. So uh, from our perspective, any of those regulations and requirements, those are things that we've already built into our practice. So, you know, regulation is a challenge, uh, but it's something that we can deal with. I think, you know, another challenge in the industry in general is, you know, how do we as advisors bring more value, more things to the table, right? How do we combat the robo-advisors? And I think, you know, when it comes to that sort of challenge, I mean, we distinguish ourselves by the types of services that we bring to the table, uh, the conversations that we have, the the type of planning that we do. So, you know, are there challenges? Absolutely. It, It keeps us you know, adapting uh, to these challenges, but I think we're in a strong position to meet those challenges uh, and to really design a business that can overcome them.
0: John, you do a lot of media work, and I noticed on your website that there are a lot of tools, there's presentations and, and videos, a lot of that educational type of material. How do you use that content, and how effective has it been?
2: Well, uh, that content is uh something that we distribute to clients obviously we're putting it on uh, social media so we're getting it out there in terms of just being present in front of not only clients but prospective clients so we're really leveraging social media to get those messages out there i'll say this much because it's a a question i always get uh, because i do a lot of uh, media engagements and i do a lot of you know uh, videos and things online Uh, I always get the question, oh, do you get business from it? Um, And I always always say the same thing. I've never had anybody call me out of the blue saying, hey, I I saw you on TV and I'd like to do business with you. And in fact, if somebody did do that, I'd kind of be taken aback a little bit. And I'd be a little weary of, uh, of working with them. Um, you know, our clients come to us through referrals, through natural relationships, people that know us. Uh, what I will say is we've definitely seen an increase in business in general, and definitely people being more aware of what I do and who I am. In fact, just this morning, I was out for a run and, you know, I live in my hometown, right? So who do I run into working on his front lawn is my elementary school gym teacher. Right. And so uh, we strike up a conversation uh, and uh, I haven't seen him in years, even though he lives like right down the street, but I haven't seen him in, in years. And we were chatting and he says to me, you know what? I love seeing you on TV. I drive by your office. So my office is right in the center of town where, I, you know, not too far away from the soccer field that I used to play on as a kid. And uh, he's saying to me, he's like, you know, I love seeing it. I got to come see you. You know, I'm retired and my wife and I need to come visit and uh, catch up and, you know, we could really use your help. So, you know, it's it's just that awareness uh, that it creates. So I've seen definitely an uptick in referrals, uh, people coming to us and saying, hey, you know, so and so said I should talk to you.
0: Yeah. So in what ways, uh, John, have you made your practice more efficient?
2: One of the things that I did right after the buyout, if you will, of my partner who's now retired, Bob, one of the things that I did was I really uh, expanded the staff, the roles within the team, really built out that team. So we divided up responsibilities. So everybody's specializing in one area, if you will, even though to some extent, we all kind of help each other, right? We all wear different hats at some point because it is a small business, but Like I said earlier, we have a a person that's dedicated to working with clients on new investment business and servicing uh, investment accounts. And uh, that's Holly. Uh, And then Jen uh, works with clients on insurances, not only new business, but uh, servicing existing policyholders. And then Natalie uh, is really somebody that I brought on about, I guess it'll almost be five years, I think it might be five years. Somebody that I brought on, kind of as a protege, um, so that uh, she is with me on every client meeting. Uh, she runs some client meetings uh, on her own, but you know, our we've segmented our clients A, B, C, uh, and D, just based on size and from uh, you know, so we can have like a, a service model. So making sure that everybody uh, is getting the attention uh, that they deserve. But she's with me uh, on all those meetings and you know i i really brought her on um, early on just to show her obviously how the business works, who the clients are, but also as like a continuity thing. Um, you know, we talk to, to clients all day long about, you know, what's your plan? What if something happens? What if something goes wrong? What if you're not here? What happens to your spouse or your kids? And so we're big believers in practicing what we preach. Uh, I always say to clients, uh, you know, Natalie is here because if something happens to me. She knows exactly what's going on with you. Holly and Jen are here because if something happens uh, uh, to me, they know exactly what to do for you. From uh, you know a, a servicing standpoint, they know where your accounts are, where your insurances are. So, you know, one of the things that I, I I preach within the office is just transparency, right? Because if one of us is not there, whoever is should be able to pick up you know, client file and know what's going on. So, you know, not only expanding roles, uh, responsibilities, uh, you know, kind of that divide and conquer mentality and, and really setting up that continuity in case somebody's not around.
0: John, what's your uh, investment philosophy? How would you manage money for your clients if, if you didn't outsource that to someone else?
2: Uh, big believer uh, in asset allocation and uh, you know staying staying the course, right? So we're not trying to time markets. We're not purchasing. I, I wouldn't be purchasing individual stocks and trading them on a daily basis. Really putting together portfolios that are designed to stick to an asset allocation uh, that are well diversified. Um, I've seen I've seen the disasters happen. Luckily, not with uh, with our clients, but I've seen people out there try to do it themselves, outsmart the market or try to outperform uh, markets, which you know, we do believe there is opportunity to do that, but we're definitely not uh, you know, making those active uh, daily trades. Uh, we wouldn't be doing that type of stuff uh, if we were managing money in-house.
0: Uh, one last question for you, John. What's the most underrated piece of financial advice?
2: Um, so the most underrated piece of advice, uh, I think is, uh, expect the best, but plan for the worst, right? So we want to make sure that, uh, and I tell my clients this all the time, you know, let's focus on that goal. Retirement, sending kids to school, buying that first house, buying that second house, uh, doing all these things that you want to do. This is fantastic, but let's not lose sight of what can go wrong. What's our backup plan if something happens to you along the way, to your spouse along the way? And it may not even have to be anything uh, with that person. Uh, but what happens if you know, it's COVID-19 now, right? What happens when it's COVID-25? Okay. (laughs) You know, uh, if you're retiring during a global pandemic, if you're retiring when the the markets are down, uh, taxes change, uh, you know, how are we prepared to deal with all these things? We always want to have that plan to get to where we are, uh, but we also want to make sure that we're keeping an eye on what could possibly derail that plan.
0: John Caserta is a chartered financial consultant and the managing director at Caserta and Dijon LLC in North Haven, Connecticut. John, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again for being here with me.
2: Thank you so much. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun.
0: And thank you for listening today. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode if you haven't already done so. For Simple But Not Easy, I'm Drew Carter. Bye for now.
1: purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication. Such opinions are subject to change. No Morningstar entity, including Morningstar Investment Management and Morningstar Research Services, shall be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the content presented. Morningstar makes no representation as of the completeness or accuracy of the information presented. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.